All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. You can describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? With you on the Metal Town Radio podcast, episode 126 of the Hordes of Chaos. Riding solo right now today. Uh, Neko is busy with works related stuff, so she can't get around to uh, doing this particular podcast with me. However, uh, she will return next week. Uh, we did have a bunch of stuff to get to this week, including our uh, DVD retro movie vault pick, but uh, we'll do all that next podcast, so we'll just put it off for another week. But I do have plenty of things to talk about with you all. A uh, couple of movie reviews with uh, Werewolves Within, Gunpowder and Milkshake, uh, article about uh, Pocho the Crocodile, which is interesting when we talk about how nature integrates with humans and it's a very interesting true story so i'll get around to that screen rant has the 10 best directorial debuts for horror films so i'm gonna give you that list a little later if i whether or not i agree it's not really so much if i agree or disagree with the list because you know debuts are debuts but whether or not i think they're great best or whatever uh i just i have to give my opinion on that a little bit and then i'm gonna talk about uh the new uh, animated series, uh, Masters of the Universe Re- Revelation, off of Netflix. Uh, Kevin Smith uh, is producing that. So I've got a lot to say on that as well. I've been watching that for the last hour or so. So I'll be getting to a little bit. i got a lot of great new music coming your way. A lot of classic stuff material for you as well. Uh, no neko's pick of the week in a rock block so it's just gonna be a bunch of rock for you but i have some interesting picks in there for you as well but let's get it uh, all kicked off classic edge of sanity purgatory after glow this is called twilight
right, DJ Nubis back with you. First topic of choice here. A um, couple of movie reviews for you all. Uh, first one's going to be Werewolf, uh, Werewolves Within. And then the second one's going to be Gunpowder Milkshake. So we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, Werewolves Within. Now, for any of you that have been following our podcast for a while, know that I'm really big into werewolves. That, like, when it comes to horror, that's, that's kind of my thing. But when it really comes to like worthy werewolf movies and stuff i'm very selective and in some sense elitist when it comes to just because i have certain expectations and ex- certain uh a viewpoint of how a werewolf should look etc i'm not a big wolfman type of guy so you're not gonna really wow me with that i know there's a lot of old classic materials that kind of paved the way for the werewolf movies we have today but i'm more of the uh Halloween and American Wolf kind of guy, so uh, I'm very picky and selective with what I expect. Now, seeing the trailer for Werewolves Within, I wasn't really sure because there's recently there's been these movies where they kind of toy with the idea of having werewolves in them, and then it turns out to be something else. Now, uh, if you don't want to hear any kind of spoilers, I'm, I'm trying not to, but in case you can stop now, just skip ahead or whatever, but. Uh, there is a werewolf involved in this film. However, I will say that there's some twists as well as terms of how it plays out. And I'm going to explain to you how what the plot synopsis is. It's basically, you have this small town of Beaverfield. Uh, and they're in kind of a crisis because this oil man named Sam comes there who's trying to build this pipeline in this small little town. And... The town itself is divided. Its populace is divided on whether or not they want to have the pipeline come in or not. So uh, there's already kind of like this bickering and like people not really getting along in this town. And it kind of starts out with this guy who looks like he's cheating on his wife. So he's out in the forest and he's kind of giggling and looking at his phone and he takes his ring on because I guess he's going to hook up with, you know, whoever he's going to hook up with. And then, of course, he's attacked by something. So that kind of kicks off the entire movie. Now, he's currently the current mailman for the town. So, uh, next thing we know, we see this guy played by Sam Richardson, who plays Ranger Finn. He's coming in to oversee the construction of the pipeline and to hopefully make things go over smoothly at the same time uh, we have a new male person who is actually a male girl it's played by Milana Vantra now for those of you who don't recognize the name if you've ever seen the AT&T commercials with the little cute brunette that's in them that's her uh, she's actually in this film we actually Neko and I think we saw her in something else recently as well I can't remember what that was but uh She's kind of making her jump to the movies or whatever. Uh, so she's in this. And um, she befriends Rager Finn, uh, who is, you know, she's kind of taking him on the tour to show him, you know, where the houses are, what's going on, who the people are. And he's meeting all these different personalities that are like, you know, one woman. Uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but. She's, she plays like Looney Bin chick, you know. She's there talking about how people are ripping signs out of her front yard and 
So there's this tension in the town between the residents about this pipeline that's supposedly going to be coming up. Now all of a sudden, we discover like the guy that was attacked in the beginning was married to the woman who runs this like inn. It's like an inn where uh, in the town where uh, Finn is staying, and the wife there, of course, you know, is kind of kind. Of, she thought that he had run off with the girl that he was. Uh, you know, uh, having an affair with. So, she's all kind of, like, come to terms with that, even though she's still bummed about it. Uh, as we find, as the movie starts to unfold, we, we discover that we discover her husband's body. And uh, find out, oh, well, he's really not just walking away. He's technically dead. And, of course, now we learn that, you know, it was like an animal attack, and it doesn't seem like a normal thing. So... The other part of this is uh, Cecil, Cecily, I guess Cecily, I guess is her name, played by Milana, Milana Von Traub, is, you know, sort of this quirky, cute male girl who has a, a bubbly personality, and, you know, she has this access to this, like, little lodge thing that it's like a gaming room almost in the town. So it's got, like, this... You know, pool tables, arcade games, and it has like a, a jukebox, and they're playing like eighty, uh, actually eighties and nineties. I think it's a just nineties tune. So like one of the songs was uh, "Ace of Base" is the sign uh, is being played in it, and uh, so there's this like bond between Finn and Sicily. They're they're getting closer and closer, but Finn still is hung up on his ex girlfriend, who he's kind of like separated from. So that kind of puts the halt on that uh, budding relationship there. Um, then we just meet random people again throughout the town, and you know, as you know, these bodies start piling up. We, you know, everyone's looking at, oh, is it this person or is it this person? And you know, of course, the topic of it being a, a werewolf comes up, and you know, some people believe it, some don't. And there's actually one little. Um, professor there uh or doctor a scientific expert dr ellis rebecca anderson who is kind of in her own little room studying the blood and the hairs and she's it's almost it's almost playing out sort of like uh john carpenter's a thing because if you remember in that the doctor then that one sort of like secluded himself to the point that he would didn't trust anybody and that's what what rebecca henderson's character dr ellis does is she's kind of like starting to learn that there is something out there and she doesn't know exactly who it is or what it is, but she's becoming fearful. So, anyway, uh, we continue uh, to find out that the oil mint guy who's putting the pipeline in Sam, you know, he's been kind of like keeping track of where they're putting these pipelines in. He's noticing that there's these... Uh, murders taking place where people are disappearing or being torn up or whatever so in the midst of him doing this pipeline thing he's also a gaming hunter so he's thinking he's tracking down some sort of creature uh werewolf i can't remember if you believe it was a werewolf or not but anywho the end of this movie really goes bonkers because before you know it it takes a twist that you don't expect and 
and then you're saying to yourself, well, is there really a werewolf or is there not? And, of course, like I said, at the very end we realize there is, but uh, it, it's, it's clever how it kind of just, I want to say, misplaced the, the attention of who's at fault for what. So, the, like I said, the town is kind of full of, like, loony, loony band people who don't trust each other. So... Uh, this werewolf who has been doing this has found a way to misplace the attention to whoever it wants it to be. And so by the time you get to the end, you're kind of like, oh, wow, did not see that coming. <laughs> so overall, the film itself, uh, I gave a 7 out of 10. It, it's it's not horrible. It's not bad. Uh, it's not overly great. Uh, the werewolf look itself not something I, I've seen it before it's okay um, it's not anything great that I would write home about or like but you know at the end of the day it's okay And but as far as like there, there is some comedy in it so it's got like that feel about the guy that directed Hot Fuzz with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost also did this so you see some of that humor in there a little bit um, so I think you'll enjoy it, at least for a one-time view. I don't know if it's going to make up anyone's best of list, but uh, certainly worth a watch. Uh, it's Werewolves Within. It's on Amazon. I think I did have to pay to rent it, but it's only like 7 bucks, I think. So nothing outrageous. Like I know that Disney Plus right now has Black Widow, and they want you to pay 30 bucks on top of your subscription. I'm just not willing to do that right now. unless I'm, If I go see it, I'm going to go see it in the theater if I'm going to pay that much money. Not at home. Um, so the next movie we have that's on Netflix, uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, I'd seen a trailer for this as well. Uh, basically this is a poor man's John Wick. However, it does have an all-star cast with Karen Gillan, who is incredibly cute and beautiful, um, Lena Headey, you should know her by now. Uh, I also have classic, uh, women like Michelle Yeoh. Angela Bassett and Carla Gugino. And then of course we had the very talented Paul Giamatti in this flick. And basically, uh, Karen Gillan plays Sam, who whose mother is Lena Headey, named Scarlet. And Scarlet is a, a, an assassin. So at the beginning of the movie we get, they're in this diner and uh, all of a sudden these Russians come in and uh, I think at that before that point, Scarlett had gone to the restroom, and when the Russians come in, the main guy sitting down with Sam, who's very young at this point. She's probably in her mid to early teens, and uh, finally, Scarlett, played by Lena Headey, comes out and she ends up killing these guys and then taking off. She just leaves her kid, uh, and Giamatti's character is there. But the problem with this is. I guess Scarlet crossed a line by killing all these Russians and whatnot. Uh, so she, in order, I guess, in her view, to protect her kid, she left. But now that's set up Sam to be raised by Giamatti, who's actually part of what we call the firm. And he's the one that basically runs these assassins out of his network to take care of business. So he obviously had a good relationship with Scarlet, but was upset that, you know, she crossed some lines, but took Sam in and basically raised her as another assassin. So, 
we kind of catch up to the future. Sam is doing her jobs, and she ends up uh, coming in on a job to kill this guy who is actually being blackmailed to try to save his daughter who's in who's being who's been kidnapped. So, but she already shoots the guy in the gut, and he's dying. But he wants he's asking her to help his daughter, Emily. So, Sam, against her good judgment, goes back, helps the guy get to, like, a personal uh, physician or, or doctor that they use to help, kind of like John Wick, when you see he has, like, a, a certain guy he goes to, to to stitch himself up because he doesn't want to go to a regular hospital. It's kind of what we have here. So, she brings him in, but the guy doesn't survive. And now she's kind of, like, feeling protected of the young girl and responsible because she is the one that shot him. Doesn't The little girl doesn't know yet. Um, but basically what happens is Giamatti can't do any more for Sam because at this point she's killed like the head Russian's son in the process of all this shit. Uh, so now Giamatti is just going to try to like wipe the slate clean he's like look you know we aren't going to use our services anymore you can do whatever you need to do uh even though he's kind of guilty about it because he does like her except he has like this loyalty to him in a way so basically they spend the rest of the movie avoiding hitman and the thugs that try to kill her and the young girl and so they come to what's called the library, and this is where we find Angela Bessette's character, Anna May, Florence by Michelle Yeoh, and Madeline by Carla Giannino. And basically, it's kind of cool. It's a library where, really, it's just, there's a bunch of books, but each book basically houses a type of weapon. So you got guns, knives, whatever. Uh, and so Madeline, who uh, runs like, is a, like the librarian there, the main one, she's says, well, what kind of books are you looking for? You know, one of those kind of things. And obviously Sam brings in her double bag of old books she had, so she's like, I need to get new books. So it's a definitely a, a thing that all the assassins do. They come through there, get their weapons, and of course the girls there are retired assassins, so they know how to handle themselves a little bit. So then we have like this big scene where the thugs and hitmen come to, they come to the library to try to get Sam and Emily but the other three girls uh, join in and fight back and but this is after of course we discovered that uh, Anna May Angela Bissett's character she recommends Sam go see a specific person about trying to get out of this and it turns out to be her mother Scarlett who's still alive so there's this like awkward reunion between Sam and Scarlett but you know eventually it's patched up and then of course we get to the the library where the big war breaks out with all the hitmen and stuff. Uh, we do lose one of the members of the girls in that. Uh, after that, though, you know, again, the film has some nice moments in it. Um, a lot of gore. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Um, some pretty good uh, choreography with the fighting, but I don't know, like, I still, 
I, I still have a problem just because it, it's trying way too hard to be John Wick when it really shouldn't be. Uh, they probably could have put a little bit more thought into the plot and how they wanted to do this. Uh, I thought Giamatti was wasted in this. Uh, he did a decent job with, with the role he had. Uh, yeah, it just... The, the movie itself was okay. Again, one-time viewing, I think you'll be fine. Uh, I gave it a 6 out of 10, which is about average. Uh, I, it's not something I want to own. It's visually striking at some points, but um, I just, I don't know. I don't really find it to be mind-blowing or, you know, I, we could argue all day about whether or not it's supposed to be this, like, another woke attempt at, you know, well, what guys do, girls can do better type shit. I don't know, but... <sighs> I don't want to get into a big rant about... I've seen plenty of women in action roles that done just fine without any of the bullshit that comes with it like we have nowadays, but the movie itself doesn't really spend a lot of time on woke stuff, which is good. I mean, there's a few in there you expect it by now, but that's not really what hurts the film for me. It just It's really just a matter of I've seen it all, been there before. Like, it's just not... They're not really doing anything different there than I've seen before. So... Take it or leave it. Uh, check it out. It's on Netflix. We're going to get into uh, another block of music. New stuff from uh, Devoid of Thought. That's provided by Everlasting Speed Records, Tito and Company. Uh, False Witness. And we're going to cut off some classic stuff by Abhorrence. Disintegration of Flesh.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. funny because <clears throat> I just saw an article about a woman who had a little baby kitten and I don't know shortly after it ran off it got lost or something but she couldn't find it she spent like a year trying to find this cat called Boo and finally like 13 years later because it was chipped 13 years later she got a call saying that her cat was missing and she was like she already had like two other cats that she got later on that she's like no they're still here and uh they said well no no we have this cat called boo and then she like was kind of flabbergasted it after all this time her cat was still out there somewhere so naturally it was uh an emotional reunion for her and whatnot to have her cat back and you know a cat remembered her but uh it just shows you the bond that people can have with animals, but the story I'm going to get to here in a minute from animalsaustralia.org, like, it's, you know, we've heard stories of, like, larger cats, like lions and tigers that have bonds with people, or we've seen, like, cats and birds get along, or whatever. You know, there's so many different types of animals that people have bonded to that, you know, you wouldn't expect. Well, one creature that I'd not never thought I'd see have any kind of relationship with a human being as a crocodile. And uh, there's a story out there. Now, granted, uh, this is going back to 2017. Since then, uh, Pocho has passed away. He was an you know, older crocodile. But uh, apparently Pocho had been hurt from some... Uh, people that were trying to kill him obviously but uh this local named cheeto uh c-h-i-t-o he uh helped the crocodile and brought him back to health and actually sent him back to the wild and what happened was the crocodile just kept following him back to where he lived and uh so he nursed it back up to health and then tried to release it but it, it like cared for him like it actually did and like this amazing thing about this there's video footage of it is cheeto could actually get in the water or actually be in front of the crocodile uh and it wouldn't hurt him like it just wouldn't now granted i'm assuming in the midst of all this you're still if you, even if you're a cheetah, you're, you're feeding the crocodile before you even integrate with him. Because, as with all wild creatures, if they're not eating or if they're sick or something, they, they can lash out. We've seen that before with lions and tigers. When they're not well kept or well fed, they will lash out their, their masters, basically. Uh, this guy, but this, this was, I think it was like a 17-foot crocodile. That, that, I mean, that's huge. And this guy, you know, he, he would get in the water and actually roll it on its back and rub its tummy and it, it would just do it. Like, it was really quite, quite an amazing thing that the stills they have of this and apparently, you know, 
Taurus and even scientists and Alva Hill experts couldn't understand the relationship that he had built with this crocodile because to my knowledge crocodiles aren't really like the smartest creatures on the planet and I'm not really trying to diss them because they're just predators and so like obviously they have their own sense of intelligence and how they hunt and whatnot but I wouldn't think that they would have the mental capacity to remember a human, a specific human or humans that would have like a bond. Like it's kind of an amazing thing to see. Uh, they were together for quite a while and actually uh, the crocodile, I guess he died at age 50. So that that's quite a long time, even though they probably live long, longer than that. Uh, apparently hundreds of people attended his funeral when he passed and obviously uh, Cheetah was devastated by it but It was you know initially like what I meant to say earlier is that there were some poachers who were trying to kill him and uh, Cheeto managed to save him, but I Just I find the story pretty unique um, obviously we follow people or who have like pets like snakes or spiders and you know, knowing how to handle those creatures is one thing, but again, you know, you're talking about a huge predator that normally doesn't have any kind of bond with people, humans in general, like, you know, because they're not, they're wild. So the fact that this could happen out, out here in, uh, I think it was Costa Rica, like, that's quite, quite amazing. Uh, so it's on uh, animalsaustralia.org, and if you just search poach, uh, Pocho the Crocodile, it's P-O-C-O-H-O, the Crocodile, and then uh, you can read about the story there. I just, I was fascinated by that and wanted to pass that along. It's unfortunate the crocodile's long since passed away, but uh, uh, I just, that's the first time I've ever seen that, so that was pretty crazy for me. All right, well, let's get back into some music. Uh, Inverse Records has some intermissing in here. I've got some Ella, and we're going to kick off some brand new stuff by Doom Cave. Here we go.
dia
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Guys, that music I'm playing in the background, that's uh, from my favorite Panos Kamatos film, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Uh, great soundtrack, great movie, great visuals, just all around awesome. If you liked Mandy, which a lot of people like down a lot, that one is visually, visually striking, has a good soundtrack. I didn't find it as quite as good as Beyond the Black Rainbow, but uh, you know, people differ. Anywho, we're going to get ready to get into our rock block here. And uh, I've got some different stuff for you. As I said before, Neko's not here, so we won't have her pick of the week. But uh, got some stuff, my curtain calls and atomic stuff with uh, Special Case and John Dallas, respectively. Classic stuff by Glacier, Thin Lizzy, Anvil Bitch. We're kicking it off, though, with the Pretty Reckless. And if you don't know anything about this band, now granted, this... This group isn't anything that I'm, like, massively crazy about. But uh, the one interesting tidbit about it, if you don't know, the singer, uh, Taylor Momsen. Uh, if you ever saw How the Grinch Stole Christmas with Jim Carrey, the little girl uh, in that film was actually played by Taylor, which I find fascinating. So I don't know. I don't think she does act anymore. I think she was more just more into music. So this is like as she got older, this is what she's doing now. So they have like, you know, three or four records. And they just put out a new one, which this track comes from. So it's called Only Love Can Save Me Now. Here's the Pretty Reckless kicking off our rock block. And I'll be back in a few. <laughs> Mm-hmm. 
the sound, the sound, the world is spitting it out. Only love can save me now.
girls will be boys, and your girls will be trouble. I'm a man of bad habits. I seen you walking down the street with another girl. Oh man, I had to have it. I know it gets you, it gets you in your brain. Sometimes it thrills and ripples in your vein. I tell you this, this boy is insane. This boy has got bad habits.
Torrify from Victoria, B.C. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Stay thrashing. Closing out the rock block for this week. I want to get a little bit into an article posted on ScreenRant.com about the 10 best directorial debuts for horror films. So I'm going to go through their list and then I'm going to go through, give some input on whether or not I think they deserve to be in a top 10 list. And then I'm going to give my top 10, obviously, uh, how I feel about the best debut uh, movies from directors, so in this in this genre anyway. Uh, so at number ten, the Blair Witch Project um, by Edward Sanchez and Daniel Myrick. So obviously the hoopla surrounding this in nineteen ninety nine was there was your first shaky cam doc styled horror movie that was put out there and for a while early on they were selling it as true like it was a real piece of evidence and it worked for a while as far as the proper you know the propaganda machine was concerned the promotion and everything and the actors i believe were told to stay out of the limelight uh but then <laughs> But then as most things, that people are like, well, are they actually alive? Uh, do we need to check in on them? What's going on? So eventually, uh, the spilled the beans and definitely was a make-believe movie. But at the time, it was well done in terms of how they presented it. And it had its own atmosphere. Personally, for me, this is just a side note. Uh, Book of Shadows, I thought, was actually a better movie. Uh, it's a lot different than the first Blair Witch, but uh, I just felt the second one had a lot more going for it than this one. Um, I don't mind the Blair Witch Project. I do think it's a bit overrated with people, but, you know, it depends. I know that a lot of the younger generation who first saw this when they were young, this is one of those films that sticks in their mind. So, uh, it wouldn't make my top ten list, I'll put it that way, So, but that's in this list here, so... Um, what this number nine does make my list and generally makes most people's list, uh, in some sense, is Hereditary by Ari Aster. Uh, he also did uh, Midsommar, which I know Neko and I didn't mind Midsommar, but again, there's always this conflict of interest where it looks too much like Wicker Man for me, and uh, like far too much like Wicker Man, so I, I kind of like have a bias there that I, I use against it, which unfair or fair, regardless, uh, I didn't really feel it was quite as shocking or off the hook as Hereditary was. I remember watching Hereditary with Neko, and we didn't know anything about it, but I knew a friend of mine who told me about it. Uh, actually, heard podcast by him by Jason Griffith, and I, you know, I checked it out and you know we were looking at it and obviously the movie had some uh 
interesting parts in the middle. The only problem with Hereditary really in terms of the, how it was made was the pacing. Uh, it's very uneven. Uh, you go from one tragic event to all of a sudden the family just, you know, being kind of weird about it. Like they weren't really addressing it like emotionally like you would think they would. However, the last 15 minutes of that movie is like a, a real big payoff. Like there's a lot going on. Creepy as fuck. Uh, nuts. Uh, there's a piece of soundtrack at the very end that uh, I really, really like. I uh, don't know who wrote it, the music there for that, but it's really good. It's very, uh, it works with the atmosphere that's going on. So, I, as far as my list, I don't have any, like, real, like, from 10 to 1. Like, it doesn't matter. I just have top 10. So, this makes my list uh, as far as debuts are concerned. So, we agree there on that. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. Tobe Hooper. Definitely makes my list, as well as this list. Uh, you can't get away from it. Uh, it's sort of done similarly in the sense that the promotion was, you know, based on Ed Gein, uh, but presented as, like, an actual real case. And, of course, even though I like TCM2 more uh, for different things, uh, Texas, as far as the debut, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is certainly up there. Very good. Uh, I remember, remember people who went to go see that in the theater. I was too young, but many were saying they had vomit bags and everything else. So it was like one of those things that really, really shocked people at the time. Number seven. This also makes my list. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about it just because uh, I don't really consider it so much a horror film. It's got great atmosphere. It's a thriller. Very dark. Uh, plus, I love Black Phillip is uh robert eager's the witch and uh really just from style alone is pretty impressive uh it, i don't really consider it true horror uh that, i'm not trying to slander it in any way no people i know people say it's a different kind of horror and it is in a way i mean it's got some horror elements in it but uh it's more just about atmosphere and dread, really. It's really what it comes down to. It's a whole different kind of thing. It's more of an art piece. Uh, the acting by Anya Taylor-Joy, who... I've seen her some other things I'm not as crazy about in terms of her acting, but this I thought she did a fabulous job with. Uh, I had kind of forgotten she it was her that had done this film uh, by the time I'd seen some of the other stuff. So... Uh, the film is just wonderfully shot. Um and just very good it's good uses of light and uh the way they didn't think the only thing i hated about it was the very end i felt was unneeded i've talked about it before uh they could have done without that final scene uh uh where she walks into the forest like that could have been wiped out and i would, I would have made it a 10 out of 10 really but eventually i think it felt like 8 out of 10 because of that um Nevertheless, uh, it's definitely in my top ten as far as debuts are concerned. Uh, number six, Eraserhead. Again, um, I do love David Lynch. Uh, I've seen this film, saw it for the first time about five years ago for the friend of mine who had it, talked about it. I don't consider it a horror film um, at all. It's definitely weird. Um, it's well shot, obviously. Lynch does a lot of crazy. There's, 
obviously this thing with this little baby like alien type thing they got going on in it that's kind of creepy but if I'm thinking horror I'm thinking like true horror really you know what I'm saying so it isn't something I consider to be a horror film it's bizarre naturally but uh anyway Screen Rant has it in their top 10 uh, I disagree with that particular pick here it's a decent film just from uh shooting and directorial wise but uh, I don't really consider it a horror film. Number five, this makes my list, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Sam Raimi's The Evil Dead. Even though I've talked about how Evil Dead 2 and Armory of Darkness and even The Evil Dead remake are better for me than this particular film, uh, there's no denying the impact that this film had on the genre in general. Like, I've even seen, like, on YouTube, the, uh, sort of pre-cut to this it was it was named something else like the cabin or something and camo was in that as well and it was sort of like the baseline for everything they did for evil dead and it was kind of cool to see because while it wasn't polished or anything you could tell where Ramy was getting all his ideas to, to take it another step further when he did evil dead so uh but this film's so important in so many ways you just you can't keep it off any list so i agree with them on there with this one here uh, number four on our list is Halloween by Carpenter. Uh, absolutely, both my list and their list. Again, we, we can debate what is actually the first slasher flick, but this is the first one to really concentrate that much on the actual killer and have the body count like it is, etc., etc. Et uh, this precedes all, you know, going forward. Number three, again, makes my list, uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. And ironically enough, when I saw this so many years ago, like in my teens, like in the 80s, finally got around seeing it like that, of course, Dawn of the Dead and whatnot, I didn't really understand the political impact of the film with racial divide and everything else. I've heard and read that Romero didn't really do that intentionally. It just kind of came out that way. But so that's that's one of those things where, like, you know, when I watch a film, I, I try to suspend disbelief on things. I don't really go into it with any preconceived preconceived notions of, like, anything political or social or anything like that, even though some directors have always done that, where they've kind of, like, underlined and in the backdrop try to throw in their their views and certain things and make it something you have to think about. Uh, I know Avatar is one of those movies that people do that with. I don't have a problem that people do that with Night of the Living Dead. I mean, it makes sense, um, especially at the time period that it was made. But uh, when I watch that film, that's not one of the first things I think of. Even at the end when the main guy dies uh, because he's black... Uh, you could have put a white guy in that position and I would still feel the same about the film. Now, obviously, again, because of the times, people looked at it as like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, it was not just that people were in fear of zombies. They were, you know, in the back of their minds, fear of black people. But really, that scene, I can understand Romero saying that that wasn't his intention because really, chaos just meant that people were going to kill anybody they didn't recognize and at that point uh the main character goes out and gets shot when really 
he wasn't a zombie, but they didn't know that and they didn't care. They just, they're looking at like, they're in, they're sort of in panic mode. They're not screaming and running around, but you know, these are lynch mobs out there and they're just out to like kill whatever they can. So I don't think the intention was to say, oh, it's a black dude, just shoot him. But some people saw it as sort of a, a way to convey the message to, you know, people in general that racial, uh, prejudice happens and you know stuff like that still goes on so but the movie is so impactful in so many different ways even outside of that that yeah you can't you can't avoid it off the top 10 list number two uh honestly i've never seen a jordan peele film at all um don't really have any real interest in his stuff um people obviously say he's really talented and whatnot so i can't really deny that he's done pretty well with uh us and get out which get out here is the one that made the list at, at number two uh people really i mean I, i've read the plot of get out so i know that it's kind of an interesting concept uh but unlike night of the living dead where the political stuff was kind of a not intentional with peel it's always intentional with his racial issues that he brings forward in his, his films and stuff that he does on tv so i think part of that's one reason why i kind of avoid his films because i just i don't need people preaching to me uh it's one thing if you're just doing something fluently and naturally in your films but when it's really the basis of everything that you do and i think that's the one thing that kind of like turns me off about him as a director is that I get it that he wants to make black films for black people and that's fine uh, or people of color so that's not a big deal to me but at some point you've got to show you have uh, more range or a more dynamic range with what you're doing so my question to him is can he do anything but do this kind of stuff is this all he can do is this kind of like uh you know racial type themes throughout his his stuff like is there anything else he can do and he's obviously got talent he can uh question is will he ever do anything outside will he ever think outside the box i guess i'll put it that way uh but his debut i can't argue with it. it's not gonna make my list because i haven't seen the film so uh and plus i just i feel like there's other more important uh directors that belong in this category uh for me personally but uh you know, they, they she showed up on their list. Uh, number one for them, Jennifer Kent did a film called The Babadook, uh, 2014. I don't know what the hype is with this film. Neko and I have seen it like long ago. It, you know, outside of a couple jump scares, it really didn't do a whole lot for us in the long run. So I don't know why this would be number one on our list for one like there's a lot of good stuff in our list so i don't know why exactly i mean they do kind of give you like little paragraphs of you know what they're writing about the stuff so you guys can read it. it's on screenrant.com uh yeah it's not one that uh would pop up in my list at all uh i didn't really care for the film so i don't really consider it one of the best obviously so i'm going to get into my list and uh i'll break down a little bit uh some of we've already talked about which i'll skip over so basically like the first four that i've got on my list is romero's night of the living dead 
Uh, John Carpenter's Halloween. Tobe Hooper's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Um, then I have Clyde Barker's Hellraiser. And, uh, yeah, out of any, a lot of the stuff that's in Screen Rant's uh, top ten, I'm surprised that Hellraiser is not even in there. Of course, there's a few others. Uh, well, actually, there's uh, at least one other one that I'm surprised that's not in there. Like, I'm, I'm not shocked that Screen Rant didn't put any of the remakes in there because uh, I got a couple on my list that I think are certainly more worthy, but... Uh, have not having Hellraiser in there is a little bit weird to me. Uh, furthermore, uh, Stuart Gordon's Reanimator, again, another one that's not in there. So I don't know why either one didn't make their list. Uh, I think they're superior films, so at least half of what's in there uh, for a screen rant, obviously. But, uh... Yeah, so anyway, Clyde Barker's Hellraiser and Stuart Gordon's Reanimator are also in my top ten. Uh, the Evil Dead remake from 2013. This is one of two remakes that I have in my list. And the reason for that is, again, I think overall the Evil Dead remake is better than the, than the original. And I know people will debate this all the time. They give me a lot of shit about it. Some people agree with me. Um, the reality is, though, is that it's just more polished. It's it's it. You know, I know I knew Evil Dead Two had more humor in it, so that's why I kind of enjoyed that more. Even though Evil Dead One did have some humor in it, uh, the remake strips away all the comedy part of it. You know, they don't really add in a lot of that, and the effects and everything else are much better. Which you know, it's not. It's kind of unfair to Raimi in a sense because he didn't have sort of that technology back then. Although I, you know. I, can't really say he didn't because I mean we've known other films in that time period that used it pretty well so but I guess for what he had to work with he did uh, but the Evil Dead remake I was really quite surprised I went into it not thinking I would like it and I just ended up loving it and uh, it's really really good just I just love it like I surprisingly I don't own it yet on DVD I need to kind of correct that but uh I don't even know the original Evil Dead. It has Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, so uh, that's how far behind I am on that particular series. Um, the other remake on this is Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead and the remake of Dawn of the Dead. Now, I don't feel the same way about this film as I do with Evil Dead, where the remake is better than the original, because the original Dawn of the Dead is a masterpiece. Uh, but the remake really did kind of <clears throat> opened my eyes because I hadn't seen 28 Days Later before seeing this. I know 28 Days Later came out like a year or two before this. So as far as like the whole fast zombie thing, I didn't even know about it. So by the time my Dawn of Dead came out with the remake, uh, seeing how fast they were like changed. It was a game changer in terms of like fear. Uh, you can't you know, when we think of all the zombie movies that we've seen in the past, and we're not even talking about stuff like Train to Busan and all that, but in the past, the zombies were so slow that it was oftentimes very easy just to kind of get around them if you had to, if you were actually in the movie or, you know, how, how it would play out. Uh, Dawn of the Dead changed all that. They changed it to where you couldn't just, like, outrun them. <laughs> you know, we saw stuff like... Zombieland later in the years where they would start quoting stuff like you need cardio and 
all this other stuff that, you know, kind of poking fun at the idea that you had to be able to get away from these zombies. Uh, and it changes everything. Now, obviously, everything we see now is all fast zombies. We don't really have many slow zombie movies anymore, except for maybe The Evil, The Walking Dead, you know? Uh, so, stuff that we see now is always with the fast zombies, which it just changes the way that we fight them and avoid them. Whereas in the past, it was just, it was a lot easier. So the story was good. He had some good actors in it. Um, and I just, you know, as far as like a debut for Snyder, I, I just thought it was wonderful. I, incredibly uh, creative. I didn't, you know, obviously, I, I've talked about it before with other films, but then like Watchmen was really the last film that I've liked from him. I haven't liked anything since, even with his DC stuff. So, uh yeah, so it, as far as his debut, though, that, that film is one of my favorites. Uh, and then the last two I've already talked about with you all, it's uh, Hereditary and The Witch. So both of those round out my top ten. Um, I tried, tried, tried to keep looking to see if I'd find some other horror debuts that maybe I missed. And I have so much shit in my head, I, I can't even really... I'm sure there's probably some other stuff that I may even replace if I if I found out there was something else that I like more. Uh, I could have put Panos's uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, which we talked about earlier with the sound that we're using on the you know speak over music. But again, Beyond the Black Rainbow isn't like true horror to me. It's more thriller drama. Uh, you know, I'd say the same thing about Mandy. It wasn't really horror to me in the sense that I just view horror differently than other people, I guess. Uh, you know, like people consider Silence of the Lambs horror, but I don't consider that horror either. So that's the thing. Like, It's just dependent on your interpretation of what a movie is doing and how you feel about it and whatnot. But uh, even though The Witch to me wasn't like a true horror film, I, as far as like debuts and as far as like you know, the atmosphere created, I thought it was pretty well done. And I could have probably switched that out a little bit with Panos and Beyond the Black Rainbow. They could almost go hand in hand as far as like movies that are like on the cusp of being horror. So, so yeah, I probably would either have like a tie between Eggers and Tomatoes for The Witch and Beyond the Black Rainbow as far as like the top 10 debut so all right well we're gonna get back to some music now um got some uh death row solstice and air apparent in there all classic stuff coming at you and here's the cloak by air
Looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you will find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you So growing up, like, I was never the biggest He-Man fan or Master of the Universe. And I remember when Dolph Lundgren made the film, I never even watched it. I, I checked it out one time a few years ago, and it's pretty corny and dumb. I mean, some people have a love for it, but... I mean, it wasn't... A, 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 the show itself, the series, the cartoon, wasn't bad at all. Like, I didn't really hate it, but... It wasn't something I always found myself drawn to. But recently, uh, Netflix has now kicked off uh, a, a new, a first season, five episode of Master of the Universe Revelation, and it kind of, interestingly enough, Neko and I had just seen for the first time a Jay and Silent Bob reboot with Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes. Um, we hadn't checked it out till recently. Uh, that movie was okay, but. Obviously, with Kevin, you know, he has a lot of, like, uh, familiar faces in his films. Even going back to some of his other films. So, like, you see Matt Damon, Ben Affleck. Uh, we actually saw Chris Jericho in there, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, but he is the writer of this new animation that they got going on Netflix. So, I've been checking it out. I've got one more to go, episode-wise. And it's pretty good. I mean... You know, again, I was never the biggest fan of the series or anything like that, but uh, I'm always down for new stuff to check out, and people have been talking about it a little bit, so uh, I gave it a gander, and it's it's pretty decent. Um, but I was looking up, because, you know, there's people that do the voice work for these characters, and it didn't really dawn on me, like, you know who all is doing what and where and then I'm looking at the voice cast and it's fucking insane let me let me just go through this list with you for the people that are doing this uh, now for Prince Adam and He-Man Chris Wood I don't know anything about him so he's probably kind of like a somebody who's just coming up or whatever but get this okay so Skeletor is voiced by Mark Hamill uh, Tila who actually plays her character plays a big uh, focus in this five episode series in the first season is played by Sarah Michelle Geller. So if you've seen uh, Scream 2 or uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer TV series that's her. Uh, Lena Headey makes another appearance here with the voice of uh, Evil Lynn who's like a major character for Skeletor. Uh, Queen Marlena is played by Alicia Silverstone uh, Steven Root is Cringer. What else, what else we got here? Uh, 
Henry Rollins is playing Triclops. <laughs> That's great. Jason Mewes as Stinkor. He was a character earlier that I saw. Uh, what do we got? Justin Long. He makes a lot of appearances in Kevin's films, like Tusk and whatnot. So he's playing Roboto. Tony Todd. Classic guy there. Scare Glow. Uh, then, of course, Kevin's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, as Eilina. She was a big part of the reboot movie that we saw recently. Uh, so, yeah, that kind of... And there's some other ones in there, uh, some that you probably remember or whatnot. But those are, like, the bigger names that I've seen in this list. So it's, it's pretty crazy, like, the people they got to do, be involved in this, which is cool shit. So now I'm going to go in that last episode. I'm going to try to see if I can hear their actual voices because, like... When I was watching the first four episodes, I didn't really pick up on anybody in particular. Uh, in the past, I've, with animation and stuff, I've said, well, you know, that voice sounds familiar. And then I go and look it up, and it's somebody who I knew I thought it was. But in this case, I hadn't really picked up on any of them. So it's kind of cool, actually. So I'm going to be kind of looking out for that in this final episode. Uh it's only five episodes, so it's pretty cool. So if you want to just burn through it and check it out, you can. Netflix does have them all up. Uh, I'm assuming it's probably going to go into another season or two because it's, you know, a lot of people are talking about it, so it's got some hype right now. Uh, it's pretty cool, though. I, I dig it. Uh, that's the thing about time, really, is, you know, I wish I would do, like, Battle of the Planets or a new Voltron. Like, they did do Voltron, which was cool. Uh, they actually went four or five seasons with that. Um, but, uh, hell, Battle of the Planets would be awesome. I, I don't know why they wouldn't do one for that. Like, they really need to be a reboot on that. Uh, but check it out. It's pretty decent. Um, I'd give it a couple thumbs up. Alright, well, we're going to get back to some music here. I've got some Human Vestige and Cathexis in here, but uh, we're kicking off a domination campaign, and it's a couple of guys from uh, Psychroptic who are involved in this project, and this is their title track from their new release this year, it's called Onward to Glory.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. A shadow shall fall over the universe, and evil will grow in its path, and death will come from the skies.
DJ Numis back with you. Getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. I know it was kind of a short one compared to our others, but it's what happens when you don't have a partner or sidekick. There's not much more to talk about other than what I gave you out there. So hopefully, give you some interesting topics to look into, some movies to check out for sure. Uh, hopefully the music was pleasing to the ears. Uh, getting ready to leave you with a couple tracks, actually. Both are kind of short. They're uh, by Zealot R.I.P. and Imperial Slaughter. And uh, Zealot R.I.P. with uh, Blake Harrison, obviously. Um, they're playing a show in uh, D.C. at the D.C. Brow at, nine, at September 22nd. Or is it September? Yeah. September 22nd uh, at the D.C. Brow. And they're playing with Loud Boys. Asthma Castle, and then another to-be-announced uh, band. Uh, but it's another beer release for them. They had one beer release I went to a couple years ago, which is really cool. I still have the can from that. Uh, Blake's a good friend of ours, a uh, band we love, Pig Destroyer, etc. So uh, if you haven't checked out his project, you know, Zilla RP, they got some new stuff coming out. It sounds great. Actually, I have a song I'm going to play from that record that uh, I was able to get a hold of. And then I've got Imperial Slaughter uh, provided by uh, Mike Giuliano and uh, Horror Pain Gore uh, Death Productions. So uh, a couple of tracks here real quick to close out our session. And I hope you enjoy it. And I will speak to you all next week. Hopefully Nick will be back and available to do that show because we had a lot of stuff they wanted to get to. Uh, but we'll just have to wait a week. So. See y'all next time. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and here's some Zealot R.I.P. Hey everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.